What's up, everybody? This is Sean from the From the Stands podcast. Listen, we have a big episode coming your way. But first, we have to announce our new, our first partner of the From the Stands podcast, Stephen Leambus Real Estate. Listen, Steve has been one of our biggest supporters from the beginning. We've been at his brother on. He was the first guest we had on the podcast. And we are proud to be moving forward with Steve as we take this journey together. A little bit about Stephen Leambus Real Estate. Steve is a top producing realtor in the greater Toronto area, known for his extensive market knowledge and unmatched devotion to his clients. Whether you're looking to buy, sell, or lease, he is there to help guide you through every step of the way. That's his plug. Here's mine. I have known Steve for a very long time. I've worked with him both in my current position, and also he sold me my house. He helped me sell my old house. You are getting unparalleled customer service. You are going to be told straight, this is what it is, this isn't what it is, and he is going to work until he is dead to make sure that you get the deal that you want, make sure that you get what you're looking for. We are very excited to move forward with this. Welcome to the team, Stephen Leambus Real Estate. Be sure to check him out on Instagram at homesbystephen or online at homesbystephen.ca. Let's get to the podcast. Big week, another big podcast, and once again, another big guest. Why don't you welcome in the guest for this show? What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the From the Stands podcast. Today, we have J.D. Bunkus, host of Good Show on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. What's up, my man? I appreciate you coming on. No problem, guys. I like that, you know, the, the last name, you guys could have played off of this just a million different ways. <laughs> I, how, how long did the pitches go for where you were going to land with the name? Honestly, we had a different name before. We were doing some Instagram yeah. stuff, and you know what? We we had to change it up. A lot of people are already using that name, and uh, so we just <laughs> we landed on from the stands, and this is where we're at. Yeah, I like it. I like from the stands. From the stands is is pretty solid. I gotta say, it's a really strong name. <laughs> well, we appreciate, we appreciate it, man. That. But we but we want to get into a few different things here with you, JD. And you know, we mentioned right how much is going on right now, and that brings me to my first question. You aren't like previous guests of ours, like Blake Murphy or Chris Walder or Kyle Bukaskis, where, you know, really have a specialty that they can focus on. You got to go on every day from nine to 12 and talk about everything with every, all these sports that are going on right now. How are you balancing this? There can't be enough hours in the day. I got to tell you, it's a lot. It's a lot right now. And I'm happy that it's a lot because I still can remember being in the middle of the pandemic and having nothing and knowing when, like, and having no idea when anything was going to happen. So the lucky thing is, is that the sports have been pretty spread out throughout the days. Like when we've had everything all happening at once. So for example, you know, you get an NBA game that starts at noon and then you just end up watching basketball all day and then, okay, the Jays start coming up at six 30. All right. This is an easier thing to kind of follow and not have to focus your laser sharp on, right? And you guys know this. When you watch a lot of sports, you get better at understanding what situations are more important and what games end up being big. So absolutely, I'm pretty good at monitoring a couple of screens, but I do have a thing where it's like if you're watching multiple things, you're not really watching the one. So I'm a big recording games guy. I record a Love lot that. of games. Love that. 
I, I'll go back, I'll rewatch certain stuff, uh, especially if it's score dependent. Like, uh, so for example, in the bubble, I remember I couldn't watch the first Celtics Raptors game live. And I mean the one in the regular season, of course, playoff basketball, you know, that takes precedent. You got it. You kind of have to stack your night, but it's, it's always nice when there's something like a blowout, like that Celtics Raptors game where I'm like, okay, I have to watch the first eight minutes of this. And I have the whole thing on lockdown. This is perfect. Eight minutes. I don't have to watch in the second half when Matt Thomas is getting his minutes and people are going to have takes <laughs> off of this. I don't need them. So that's why even the Blue Jays, man, they, like they, they're losing streak. I'm like, thanks, boys. Uh, hey, lose big. If you're going to lose, lose big like this so that I can focus on something else and I don't have to watch 8 nothing as, you know, the waggus packs of the world are coming in and mop-up duty because there's nothing that you glean from that. So you've got to know what your audience wants to talk about. I have to watch the the stuff that I care about more than anything, which I think kind of correlates at least. And then, so like, for example, I'll, I'll just tell you guys, I don't think I would watch a lot of Buffalo Bills. Like, I don't think I would have watched a lot of Bills Dolphins or a mm-hmm. lot of Bills Jets, but I know the audience cares about it. So I hyperemphasize on it. Plus people think I'm super critical of Josh Allen. So I can't just bullshit my way through this. I actually have to watch Josh Allen and have real takes on him. So you got to pri- it's a mix of it's a blend of prioritizing what you like what you know the audience needs and then yeah it's a lot a lot of hours in front of a tv in front of computer screens reading what other people have to say making sure that you're monitoring stuff working with your co-hosts your producers so yeah you're right those lazy bitches like Walder and uh, Blake Murphy <laughs> and Bukaskis were like our job's so hard Oh, I gotta watch one whole sport. Oh boy, oh boy, it's real tough. Oh, uh, and I, yeah, like some of us are out here doing the real work, but getting in all the sports, being fans, like uh, I think most people are, which is consuming as much as you can. Well, and to your point on Josh Allen, it is completely fair to be critical of him. I mean, the uh, better this year. Last season was a complete, complete accuracy disaster. He's so entertaining, though. We're all for yes. the entertainment of Josh Allen on yes. the Fans podcast, for sure. Yeah, I love. I, listen, I really do enjoy watching the guy, and I enjoyed watching him this week. And you know, he has that one play right where he gets lost in the pocket. <laughs> Dolphins are collapsing. He finds a way to roll out. He gets almost to the first down marker, and then he fumbles it but recovers him after he trucks like two dudes. Yeah, he's such a roller coaster. It's amazing. Yeah. No, he's he's a fun watch. I, I think that it's weird because the sports climate we live in now is if you say anything critical about anyone, and I deal with this a lot with the Raptors fans, especially because Raptors we are we are sensitive. We are sensitive. Yeah, it's it's a hypersensitivity, and part of it is based in the fact that people have ignored the Raptors for a long time, um, and people don't want to go back to that with this team. But you know, Pascal Siakam struggles. And people, if you mention it, they're like, hey, this guy's only been playing basketball for X amount of time and you're a hater and this and that. It's the same thing with Bills fans. It's like Bills fans are sensitive because they often get overlooked, especially by the other teams in New York. And so if right now where their team looks better than the other two New York teams and they look like they finally have a chance to win the AFC East, if you say something like, hey, Josh Allen needs to stop fumbling the football, people are like, fuck you, you don't watch. You don't know (laughs) shit about the Bills. Fuck you, you're a fucking Josh Allen hater. It's like, oh my God, can I just say what I see? Like, but I get it. That's part of being a sports fan. You love your guys and you want to defend your guys. So I, I don't mind it. I really don't. But yeah, I, I like the Bills this year, man. I, I like the first two weeks of the season, I got to say, this that's the thing for him is stringing together those consistent performances where he moves the ball through the air like that. And it, it seems pretty clear that having a guy like Diggs 
all of a sudden it has unlocked a new dimension of the offense and it gives him a little bit more wiggle room to maybe miss a pass by a yard or two that it's actually a stud who can get underneath the football and make a play. And, and I, so far, so far, I got to say, like it's looked way better than I even thought it would have imagined. So there you go, Bills fans. So first of all, you're a thousand percent right on Diggs. That is a legit number one who's making a genuine difference. But I was going to jump Raptors, but you know what? Since we're on the topic of football, let's chat football. And sure. I think I think the main the main story from last night was obviously you know Russell Wilson just being absurd. And, you know, I think where we should start is, can we finally put the phrase, let Russ cook to bed now? The dude's cooking. The stove is hot. He's cooking. So can we finally put that to bed? Oh, no, I'm going to say it all year long. I actually <laughs> was already looking for merchandise to get a shirt that says, let Russ cook. I want a shirt that says, let Russ cook. And then a character version of him over a stove cooking up like the heads or the logos of the other teams in the NFC West. Like, yeah, that's what I want. I want something like that. I'm all for Let Russ Cook because I, I'm sitting in my office right now and I have, uh, I have a painting of the guy sitting right in front of me. Like, I love Russell Wilson. I enjoy watching him play as much as I do, like, pretty close to any athlete in my lifetime. And that's been the frustrating point is that I'm a sports fan, man. I, I do this for a living. I watch a lot of it. I know when someone is a different type of athlete, a different breed of what they do. And I've been watching this guy now for three years, show some pretty clear indications that he is arguably the most talented quarterback in the NFL. And he plays within an offense where they say, we're going to run yes, the ball sir. second down. We're going to wait. We're going to wait. We're going to try to play defense. And it's just not where the sport is. Like imagine if the Raptors last year with Kawhi Leonard in the playoffs have been like, we're going to work it through Kyle Lowry. And then when we fall behind, we're going to give the ball to Kawhi to close games. You would have been like, what the fuck are they doing? Who's the coach? Get rid of him. And right. that's been the Russell Wilson experience. There's nothing like it. It's no sport other than football that is more frustrating when it comes to like offensive designs with the way that they utilize players. So for Seahawks fans, and I just think football fans, Having an opportunity to like imagine if we watched Pat Mahomes play in Kansas City and they ran the offense the way the Seahawks did the last Absolutely. Couple. We yeah. People would be losing <laughs> their shit. Like you would be losing it. Well, and they haven't had an offensive their their offensive line play was exactly. like dreadful forever. But what's crazy to me is, you know, you have educated football fans out there right now who have watched this guy day in, day out. This guy doesn't have an MVP vote his entire career. Wow. Not a single. Collinsworth said he should have had one. It's, <laughs> that was like, weird. He's, he, he he's going to get him this year. Has to. Oh, yeah. You know, though, it's funny. I was thinking about this last night, how fans almost care more about the MVP award than anything else in football. Like, it's a team sport, and obviously you'd rather have a Super Bowl than an MVP trophy. But it feels like fan bases are so protective of their athletes now and that sports have gone so much from cheering for your team and more so for cheering for your player that MVP has taken on this just heightened level of importance that we've ever had. Like people always say that to me, they're like, is Russ going to get an MVP? Is Russ going to be an MVP? I'm like, part of me wants him to get it just because it is a acknowledgement for him and that it takes a feather in his cap, right? JD, something to say moving forward, right? But, but I do think it's, it's really something new that we started to do as fans over the last couple of years where, and we did it again with Siakam with, we want to go with the Raptors. Like we did it with Siakam after two weeks in the NBA season. We're like, where's this guy in the MVP rankings? I'm like, who who cares? I'm like, it's two weeks into a season and it's the same way with football. Like, yeah, it's a bigger portion, but 
I, I don't, it feels like every year we're doing MVP talk earlier and earlier. Like I saw Russell Wilson's plus 300 to win the MVP this year. Like that's ridiculous. It's week two plus 300 right. is nothing. Right. Last year you could get, you could get Lamar Jackson. I went to Seahawks Ravens last year and I came out of it. My brother's a big Ravens fan. And I said, how much for Lamar on the MVP watch? Because we thought it was going to be really good value. And it was, I think it was like still plus 1200 after he beat Seattle in Seattle. And so for a guy to be that like plus 300 right now, it's, it's crazy. And it just shows you how much people are tracking this more and how much people care about it because obviously people are betting him already. So yeah, I like seeing let Russ cook. I do hope he wins an MVP, but I think it's just more fascinating that like if Russell Wilson doesn't win an MVP and say he loses it this year to like a Mahomes, right. Or Aaron Rodgers has an incredible mm-hmm. comeback season that somehow this is going to devalue what the guy has done over the last three years, even if he wins. Like, I, I don't know. It's, it's just very, it's, it's interesting. Well, do you think that the part of the reason that people care so much about the, the MVP votes and all that other stuff is like the fantasy football occasion of definitely of sports in general, but mostly football where it's like, I care about my guy, you know, not necessarily about, you know, obviously you want your team to win the Super Bowl, but because of how big fantasy football is and how big the individual performances are that people are really caring about that. Yeah, it's definitely a part of it. It's definitely a part of it. But then I, I think also on top think- of that, too, is the Bill Simmons mentality of like everyone's comparing everyone from different eight, different uh, eras. Uh, eras. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah. And it's like you need the MVP to be compared with that. You know, I thought fantasy, but I was going more I was leaning more on the side of the Bill Simmons top 10 of all time type of mentality. And you need. I, I think things. it's all those things. I think it's like, you know, whenever we try to say, hey, there's one reason for something that it's probably wrong that it's usually a right. confluence right. of events or scenarios that have led to something. And that's what you see with the MVP stuff. I think it's sports culture in general, which is that it's more individualistic than ever, where you care more about the individual than the team because people gravitate towards stars because you don't need to be as regional as a sports fan anymore, right? Like when you grow up, uh, you got kids right now. There's so many Warriors fans, right? Like there's all these kids who are going to grow up Warriors fans. Think about, I don't know how old you guys are, but when, when I was like, I'm early thirties. And when you were growing up, everybody cheered for the Canadian teams, except for a couple kids who'd like the red wings and a couple guys that like the avalanche. Like that was yeah, it. Abs, yeah. Yeah. A couple guys like the abs, couple guys like the red wings. And then everything else was Canadian. And all the Canadian teams are based off a of region, right? Like I come from out West. So everybody was like, most guys were Oilers, Flames or Canucks. And then if your parents were from Ontario, then you either like the Leafs. And then if your parents, you know, you'd have Habs fans, not, that was kind of the, the general deal. Now, like you, you talk to kids, you talk to people and they're younger and they, it's like, who do you like? And their picks are all over the map. And it's because they've been able to watch everything. Like they can watch every single team in every single league. And it's like, how did you pick that? Well, I picked them because of a star. I picked them because right. I liked player X and then I followed player X and I'm more devoted to player X than I am to the team because I care more about this guy or this girl than I do whatever regional location I pick. Like who gives a, like, if you're from Toronto, do you really care about the Bay area? Like, no, you don't care about the Bay area, but you might right. like the warriors a lot. So right. Right. I think it's that, I think it's fantasy football. I think it's the internet culture of just everybody, you know, you need to either be the best or you're the worst. And yeah, it's that Bill Simmons stuff where that's where a lot of sports talk shows go, which is, Hey, who's the greatest of all time? Who's the goat? It's, it's I all about takes. Bill. Yep. Yeah. It's like the hot take shows where it's yeah. like, this guy's out of the greatest, 
or they're the worst. And there's right. no nuance. You can't just say like, hey, this He's guy's really pretty good. good. I think yeah. he could be better. He's not a top 10. It's like there's no room for those dudes. This doesn't happen in, in the current sports climate because of what we were talking about earlier, which is there's just so much to do and so much to watch. So like you end up having to have these debates because nobody's watching all of the same thing. Like we can only just pay attention to a very, very select number of events. Well, I think this is a good transition point because you brought up hockey and, and player X and cheering for, for those teams. And there is a player X kind of floating around. There's a little bit of smoke around Alex Petrangelo and potentially the hometown Toronto Maple Leafs. Now, all that we've seen is that he is not playing in St. Louis anymore. That's all that's been really reported outside of the fact. And we're that not even sure on that. Let's be clear. We're not even tactic. sure on that. We don't know. But we do know that that's what the Leafs' biggest need is. Yeah. JD, is there smoke here, first and foremost, and as a follow-up, is that where you would put your financial uh, backing for this team is in one player like, like Petro? So... If you bring him in, obviously someone has to go out, right? One that's of the big right. names has to go out and that's the whole thing. So it's interesting because most of the talking heads say that you can't win with salary cap allocation into so few players, right? So is it different if it's more balanced? Like if one of those guys is a defenseman and he's right-handed, it's like all of a sudden that changes because of one player in a team sport? Very I don't fair. know. Very fair. Well, I just, I'm not, I'm not really sure that's the case. So if you're asking me, Hey, would you trade one of Mitch Marner or William Nylander plus a ton of assets that add to some depth and then go out and get a Petrangelo who might sign for a little less because of the, of a depressed market, then I'm, I would start to think about it. If it was that like, that's the way people have to think about this. If you're a Leafs fan and you're someone who's a diehard for Nylander and or for Marner is that. It's not about just swapping out the player one for one. It's about swapping out the player, maybe adding a lot more to your lineup, and then also adding a Petrangelo. And like, does that make you better? And I would be giving that a lot of consideration. I just, I don't think that this team is built like a winner. And maybe they could prove me wrong over the course of going at the wall over and over and over again with this talent, but... I just I'm watching this lightning series and I'm watching the stars and they're highlighted by depth and they're highlighted by having strong guys on the blue line. Like hockey isn't the NBA where you can just have one or two guys. And I don't think that here's the other problem that no one ever brings up. The Leafs top four guys might be better than a lot of teams, top four guys, but they're not better than every team's top four guys. Like look at the lightning right now. They're all paying their dues less. Look at the Bruins. This has been the problem the entire time is that the Bruins have a top line that is unequivocally more effective than the Leafs. I don't care what all the like, I don't, I'm sorry, but the nerd stats say about the Leafs top guys versus Boston's, you're telling me you would trade them for a heartbeat to win one time, the Patrice Bergeron, like, of course you would. And so you have this whole thing, this whole belief that you're going to have the best top four in the NHL, but then they aren't the best top four. Look what Colorado had this year. Oh, that's the one. Yeah. Right. It's it just, it's tough to look around the league and say that this formula is that effective when you're sec when you have a good top four, but not the best top four, but then it's also cost you sacrificing depth throughout the rest of your lineup. So, and even then Colorado went home, even right. then Colorado went home anyway, they were banged up. They lost their goalie. I kind of didn't think that they would have been right there that, that For they sure. could have won it. But even still, the, like I, the point is that, even in a sport like hockey, if you're not built with depth, if you lose one player, all of a sudden your team's out. 
that that's kind of somewhere where the Leafs are sitting too. You know, you lose a, a John Tavares for a series and all of a sudden, what, what the hell are you going to do? You're playing Muzzin. Alex Kerfoot as your second line center, right? Yeah. You lose Muzzin. Right. And all of a sudden Martin Marincin's in your lineup. So. <laughs> oh, I don't uh, remind me. Come on. Yeah. Man. Right. But, but that, that's, those are the reality <laughs> of the situation. So, so I'm not, I'm not someone who doesn't believe William Nylander or Mitch Marner are really good hockey players. I'm not even someone who believes that Nylander's contract isn't good. I think Marner's is inflated. I said it was inflated at the time. I've, I've stood with that from the very beginning. Um, but I, I just, I kind of have to believe that at some point decisions like this are going to need to be made and having the flexibility of moving one of those guys off the roster. I just don't see a, a reality where that doesn't become a thing at some point. Well, I think, you know, we mentioned, we're mentioning talking MLSC. So let's transition over to the Raptors. I think, you know, last week on your show, you had Brian Windhorst. I'm a huge fan of that guy. Uh, he came on, even talked to Michael Grange. And you t- touched a little bit on Giannis. Uh, but mainly, I think that the topic of discussion is centering around Masai. And the situation is sort of lingering. And, you know, every time you want to feel good about the nurse extension or the impending Webster extension, you sort of get put back in your place by this uneasiness about the Maasai situation. So what is your after speaking to those those folks, what is your read on the situation? How do you how should Raptor fans feel right now? What I find really interesting is that this is another almost it reminds me of the Kawhi Leonard thing where no one really does seem to have a grasp of it. So true. Where everyone is kind of making these guesses and trying to be like, hey, this and that. Maybe he likes this. Maybe he likes that. Here's the reasons why he'd stay. Well, are the other options all that attractive? Like, it's very, very much the same. And even when Masai was rumored to go to the Knicks, like, those things were leaking out there. People were talking about it. People were talking about Ujiri. But now it seems like his camp has completely shut down and stopped talking. I don't know. I really like, I wish I had a more definitive answer for you guys, but like the paranoid person who's followed the Raptors his entire life and has seen people leave them time and time again, including just lately Kawhi Leonard. Right. That part of me is like, this dude is not resigning. He's not being committal. He's saying all these things because he knows that he's probably out of here soon. Is that rational part of me? Go ahead. Sorry. 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 No, 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 please, please. I was just going to say that the rational part of me is like, yeah, where else is he going to go in basketball? The Lakers job and the Knicks jobs aren't open. Like, is he going to leave so that he can go to the Sacramento Kings? Doubt it. So if the job is in basketball, what exactly is more attractive that's in front of him than the Raptors deal? Like, is he trying to negotiate something short term? Like, does he want to make sure that he has out clauses or could he be actually looking at things outside of basketball? And I I talked about this last week with Grange, just the idea of, This is a guy who has taken the Black Lives Matter movement, put it very much at the forefront, like even for the NBA, a predominantly black league, a outspoken league. Masai Ujiri and the Raptors were at the head of the curve. And Masai Ujiri has never shied away from that. And he's never shied away from things that are using basketball as a platform, but things that are bigger than professional sports. And I do wonder if he was to get an offer for something where he thought I could have a greater impact here than being the president of the Toronto Raptors, whether he would take it or whether he's in a phase of his life after winning an NBA championship and thinking, you know, this is something I could pursue. I've also heard EPL 
that he's got a big interest in soccer and that he could get pulled over across the pond, if you will. If, like, it's a not, un- says not it. unprecedented. Yeah. So that he would maybe consider a job like that. And that's kind of the one that I really don't know about. Like that's the variable I really don't understand. But until he signed after the last two years of rumors, I'm going to be nervous about it. And I don't know how anyone could speak with confidence and be like, I'm not sweating it at all. Where's he going to go? It's like, he's one of the best executives in all of North America. He can literally go anywhere. He can do whatever he wants. He could go anywhere. He could do whatever he wants. But yeah. yeah. And and I think the other realistic option here, because you've, you know, you've mentioned that outside of sports, but he could, could, we could just take it at face value that he is actually telling the truth that with everything that's been going on in the current climate, that he hasn't put thought to it, that he isn't thinking about it right now. And that when it's time to think about it, let's let's have that conversation i'm not subscribing to that theory and obviously i am nervous but can we take it we've had people in sports lie to us so many times all of a sudden as raptor fans we know but, better but it, no, again yeah, it could play. just be that it could it could but even if it's that but even if it's that that's not great that right. means that he has doubts because the money's going to be there, right? MLSC is going to offer this guy money. He's already the president of basketball operations. Do you think that there's anything Masai Ujiri can't go and ask for from MLSC? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe this is something where they've lost a bunch of money in the pandemic and they're telling them that the resources might not be there moving forward. I don't know that either. Like, there's potential for that. But I, I just think that every like every single day that this goes on, the more pressure builds on it and the the, the greater the smoke builds. Because it's, yeah, it's what, that cloud. It's what just do you want there? Right, it's just hanging over everything. And yeah. if, if you think the Raptors have a shot at Giannis at Tenacumbo without Masai being here, like it's you're dead wrong. Like Impossible. He, he is the yeah. He is the main reason that you get in the room with that guy. Absolutely. Well, and I think that's a that's a really good point. I mean, when we spoke to Blake Murphy last week, we asked mm-hmm. him about you know the sort of the priorities that the Raptors should have moving into the next 12, 18, you know, eighteen months. And I'm going to ask you what I asked him. If you were grocery shopping for things that the Raptors need, what would you secure first? The Masai Bobby extensions, uh, your own free agents, so Fred Van Vliet, Serge Gasol, or planning your 2021 approach. Of those three things, and 2021 meeting Giannis, Kawhi, whoever you want to chase, of those three things, what are you trying to secure first? What's so, most important? I, I have to say that it's Masai and Bobby because I just don't think that the other things happen without that. Like you rule out 2021 without Masai. The organization shifts so drastically without a guy like him at the very top. I don't think that you can just let players like Fred Van Vliet walk away. So like that's obviously right there. It's hand in hand. And it also goes to the 2021 thing where it's like mm-hmm. if you don't re-sign your players – then why would anyone come here? It's the main reason why I was immediately like, if there's, if Giannis wanted out of Milwaukee this year, the Raptors are out of the running because they don't have enough to trade. Right. Like they don't have some young guy. They don't have dudes on the roster that are expendable. No one's trading for uh, Terrence Davis mm-hmm. and for future first round picks from the Raptors to get a Giannis Antetokounmpo figure, right? Like you're talking about putting Siakam on the table, OG on the table, future first on the table. Like that's what, an organization like say Miami would be able to offer if they said, we'll give you Bam and we'll give you Tyler Hero. Now we're talking, bring you right. here and, and give them to us now. So yeah, I just think that Masai is the most important domino. It's weird because Fred Van Vliet is a really good guard and Serge Ibaka has been immensely important, but I, I would rather have Masai Ujiri than Fred Van Vliet. Like I, I just would, I, I think that it's easier to find a point guard 
who can play at that level than it is to find an executive that can thinks find the that way player. and operates Completely the way agree. that yeah, exactly that is Masai Ujiri that he is more of a rarity than Fred and that, and like I don't think that's disrespectful to Van Vliet. I just think that that's like that's how where good Masai at. is right yeah, yeah yeah I just don't think that there's that many think about how many dumb executives there are in professional sports like honestly <laughs> it's, it's incredible it so many of these guys you wonder if they even watch games like like the Sacramento Kings passed on Luka Doncic so they could take a center that doesn't play defense and was injury prone. Crazy. Like it, it's just the, like there's overthinks constantly. So having a guy like Masai where you can trust them, where the draft record's there, the free agent signing track record is there. The trade track record is there. Like the guys got very few blemishes. Like the only one would maybe be almost trading Kyle Lowry or letting Lou Williams walk for nothing. Everything else has been like it's it's a greatest hits compilation. So we don't have much time with you left, JD. But I sure. wanted to get one more quick thing in uh, before we go. We we have a yeah, small it. segment at the end called Quick Hitters, so that'll yeah, be really fast. But I got to ask you about the Jays, Ian. You can Ooh. shut your mic off. I know as a Red Sox fan, you don't want any part of this. But well, I mean, you don't want any part of baseball. He doesn't want. Any, no, no, he can't. Very true. He can't. He literally <laughs> will not talk. Watching about Mookie Betts in blue is so fun. <laughs> so. This is my oh, question. That gave me so much joy. I was like, <laughs> I'll stay as long as you want. Just tell, make the Red Sox fan talking to the mic uh, more about how it hurts them. Yes. You dicks. Well, dicks. well, you know, listen, our pitching is not great. It's not Boston Red Sox level. Absolutely terrible. I don't think I've ever seen a rotation as bad as that. Who that are your sense. three or four pitchers going into this potential postseason? Obviously, still some work to do. But with Mariners and teams like that, that don't even really want to make it chasing you. You got to, you know, let's assume for the most part that they're in a positive position. Who is pitching for this team? Okay. So Hunjin Ryu is obviously number one. Yes. I, I'm going to do this on the show tomorrow. So there's some double step in here. But <laughs> I started thinking about it today that if they won game one or even if they lost game one, that wouldn't it make more sense to go full bullpen day game two or could it make more sense to go full bullpen game day two and then have Taiwan Walker ready for three if you need it uh against a more ad like potentially more advantageous pitching matchup at least like if you're facing Tampa right bullpen's been kind of the hallmark of this team this season so if you could ask Matt Shoemaker to go out in game two and give you two yeah, innings yeah right two to three innings of work against Tampa and then turn it over immediately and just start going Hatch, Baraki, you know, like all the rest of the way through the bullpen, asking guys to give you a little bit more and trying to lock that thing up and then move on to the next round. Who knows? You have Pearson then, you know, you try to get an inning from him, maybe two innings from him. Who knows the way that he's going? Just turn it over to a bullpen game day too. So I don't think there's an obvious third guy. I think that it's pretty clear that the Jays have two starting pitchers that you trust in a playoff yes. game. I'm not ready to put Matt Shoemaker in that conversation yet because, again, like we get to see him pitch tonight. Even if he pitches well, how good are you going to feel about a guy who's trying to stretch his arm out and who is hurt all year pitching for you in, in a must-win playoff game? So I, I think the third one is, sure, Matt Shoemaker might start the game, but you're obviously leaning on your bullpen heavy, heavy, heavy in the series. How early do you just go to them, though? When do you just simply say, you guys are having this entire game, we're starting with our best guys, and we're hoping to finish with our best guys? Like, I think they gave you a little bit of a preview with that with Julian Merriweather the other day. Yep. They threw him out there before Chase Anderson, and I thought, 
maybe they like him as an opener. Maybe they're actually testing him out to see how he does early. And they want to see maybe Julian Merriweather as a guy who could start the third game or the second game and then turn it over to the bullpen. Like, I think that's all on the table and that they're all just trying to figure that out. What, what the timing of that is going to be. So not Tanner Roark. <laughs> Tanner, I like, I never want to see him again. <laughs> I never want to see him again. I, I, yeah, I sportate him. I sportate him in this. Like I have no ill will towards Tanner Roark, but. It, yeah, it legitimately ruins my day when I know he's pitching and I have to watch him for at least four innings. Like oh. I, I have to watch him just give up fly ball after like, like the, the pleasant part of the experience is when he gives up his warning track patented fly ball that that's an out and you have to sweat that out and listen to Dan Shulman wonder if it's out of the ballpark. Like, yeah, I, I don't even know if Tanner Roark, I think he's going to be on this team next year because they committed the money to him. But I don't know if he's like, – I think this is like a Jaime Garcia 2.0 where you might have to cut your losses despite all the money that you owe him, uh, and, and he doesn't finish next year. We'll see. I, well, I hope not. It's not like he's swimming in happiness being here either. But, no. um, but J.D., you've been very, very generous with your time. Our last quick yeah, segment is quick hitters. Sure. So we're going to ask Let's you six, que- six questions. It's a cool. yes, no, pick, just quick answer. And uh, you can pass if you want. Are you ready, Ian, set with your first question? I am happy again. There was some Jay slander in there. I'm happy. So I'm ready to go. Uh, question number one, is Josh Allen making the leap? Yes, I, I oh. do. I think he is. He just, he, he looks, he looks like a guy who has better targets. And like I said, he, he's one of the best athletes in the NFL, like at his position and the division's opening up. He's got a lot of stuff on the soft schedule. I, I like Josh Allen's here. I think he makes the lead. Better Toronto sports moment this year, the OG shot or the Leafs game four comeback? Oh, Leafs game four comeback. And I know that the OG shot was special, but the Leafs game mm-hmm. four comeback is something I've just never seen before. Like I've seen a buzzer beater three. I've True. never seen a pass like that, but I've seen oh. a buzzer beater three. I've never, ever, ever seen a comeback like that and I've never seen a shift from every single one of my friends in a text message being like fuck this team <laughs> fuck my parents for making me root for them fuck how soft they are bunch of bitches no heart cowards to like I think we're doing it I think we're finally breaking through and this is our moment we're I'm so happy I drew this team it's me for a beer buds like it just it all changed in our feet so yeah like OG shot was special but this franchise had a buzzer beater that was more impressive and better and more meaningful a year True. before the Leafs. Uh, I've, I've never had a comeback like that, even though it resulted in nothing like had, had the Celtics lost that series and OG shot is there and right. had the Raptors won. I, I would say the Raptors won, but because both teams lost, I'm going to go with the one that involved uh, like a greater sequence of events Leafs. Well, and the beauty of the Leafs one is that it, they return to normalcy in game five when they yeah, right. oh, roll over shit, shit the bed. To bed. Exactly. <laughs> Completely shit the bed. Of course. All right. Next one. Is Carson Wentz a franchise QB? Yes. Mm. I, I, I really like Carson Wentz. I think he takes a lot of shit. I, I, like, I think the thing about him is he, his health is a real question mark. And I don't think that his players love him. Like everybody from Philly and eat, like we had Donovan McNabb on a couple of weeks ago and he was really alluding to the fact like he watches a lot of these games. Obviously he knows the organization pretty intimately. He still talks to some players and it doesn't feel like his players will go through a wall for him. And I think you have to great have point. that sometimes be a, a great QB, but he, 
we talk about weapons, weapons, weapons with every quarterback in the NFL. And this is a guy whose wide receivers every year are like the ghost of Alshon Jeffrey, like Alshon Jeffrey with no ACLs, no hamstrings, no knees, no nothing. Just, just his corpse. Right, exactly. And like the hope that he shows up, they always like Deshaun Jackson's doing his another tour of duty there. And they're like, Deshaun Jackson here again. I'm like, how old is Deshaun Jackson? I've been watching him my whole life. Like, how is he still this important to the Eagles? And then it's always like, well, they've got these two tight ends. And yeah, okay, those tight ends are good. But can I see him with a, a good receiving core? Can I see him with a, a healthy offensive line? Can I see him with some running, like a rushing attack that isn't like just mediocre to below average? Like he works with so little and he takes all the shit. So I'm going to say he is a franchise quarterback. We've seen him play extremely well when the offense had talent around him. And that the biggest issue for him is not enough to work with, but also potentially the stuff that we can't quantify, which is he's, he just seems to be one of those dudes that rubs people the wrong way or my read on it is the Eagles like the rest of their team thinks that guy gets too much credit and they don't get enough despite him not being a part of the Super Bowl winner like top down like that seems to be the thing that he's the golden boy even though they they won without him yeah. and I think that some dudes are resentful for that so franchise QB but definitely some question marks good one two more Fair. from us two more from us here JD better pro Derek Fisher, the MLB player, or Derek Fisher, Anything else. NBA coach? Oh, coach. And coach. At least the – oh, God. And it's so bad because he was such a horrible coach. It's so bad. But, like, he has some wins, and I don't think Derek Fisher has ever been responsible for a win in Major League Baseball. So, yeah, not Derek Fisher, the baseball player. <laughs> Anything but him. You could have honestly gone really, really dark with the other side of that, and I would have gone – to the other side of that blindly it was like what's behind door number two i've been like i don't care just you answered before again. door number two was open yeah exactly i just yeah i i i don't i do not believe Derek fisher is ever going to be a thing so let's just put it that way what's the last Derek, one Derek fisher the nba coach just for the record was 40 and 96 yeah it's That's 40 f- more wins than Derek <laughs> fisher the baseball player has ever been a part of so there you go all right uh second to last one canadian athlete of the year jamal murray or Alfonso davies Davies. I love Murray. And like, for me, if I was picking them, obviously I would pick Jamal Murray, but it's impossible to ignore that Alfonso Davies is playing for the best soccer team on the planet. He's what? 21, 20. (laughs) And he's arguably the best player on the team. Like in a sport that every country also plays on planet earth. Like, as, as popular as basketball is, it's still not as global as soccer. Like, this is why it's always so stupid when we're like, is it a hockey player? It's like, no, it's never is. Like, it should never be because we sink a ton more resources into this. So Alfonso Davies, what he's doing, even a soccer dummy like me can watch him play and go, who is that guy? Because he's just special. His speed right. with the ball is special. It's absurd. And his ability to play as a left back and then get up into the offense the way it, it's just, it's so... It's breathtaking. So Jamal Murray, this takes, again, this takes nothing away from him. Someone mm-hmm. who's a Jamal Murray fan would listen is like so mad about this. But it's just that we've seen great Canadian basketball players before. We've never seen a Canadian soccer player like Alfonso Davies. Like not even close, not even in the same stratosphere. So okay. yeah, it's Alfonso Davies. Last one, JD. Would you come on this mm-hmm. podcast again? Yeah, sure. Of course. Perfect. 
JD, yeah. really appreciate your time, man. Thank you. No problem, guys. Again, enjoy the name. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me. This was fun. Ian, we just finished up with JD Bunkus of Good Show on Sportsnet Fan 590. But we had to get to another topic. And that is the Lakers-Nuggets game from last night. Which, which, you didn't even watch. You didn't even know that a game was going on. You're te- I'm texting you about the, the football and your fantasy team as Russell Wilson is killing your squad. And you're like, I'm going to play Xbox. I can't do this. I'm too upset. I text you saying, holy shit, did you see that shot? And you're, what was your response? What shot? Well, I didn't think there was a game. I swore I looked on my app, my score app, <laughs> which is normally extremely reliable. I didn't see it. Obviously, it was on there. I'm just blind. But luckily, because of technology related to the NBA app, I was able to watch the full replay this today. Obviously, no commercials, which was great. So I hammered through it. Um, and honestly, I got to watch it closer than I otherwise would have. So unfortunately, what, what did I didn't, I didn't get the same effect. I didn't get the same effect of the shot because I knew it was coming. But it was awesome nonetheless. I, I think the biggest thing I noticed was, you know, and I, I've talked about this before. I was talking about it on, on Twitter today is this switching defense. And I understand that the, the the big fat in the NBA now is having guys long and switchy. So, you know, when when offenses run, you can be versatile. And I think in certain situations, like we saw with Boston, that's a real advantage. But if you're Denver, you're not built like Boston. You don't have Tatum, Smart, and Brown, who are all the same, you know, sort of size and length. You know, you, you are sort of built differently. And you need to adjust your approach with that. And this this switching thing, this Dantonification of the way defense is played, I think hurts teams from time to time because it is such a cop-out to be able to just point at someone and switch and rely on them to do your assignment. While I think switching does help, it, it can't be your only way to defend things. <laughs> and that's what happened at the end of the game. Plumlee gets, dies on a screen, and AD gets an, like a, a warm-up jumper that he nails to his credit and playing with Jeremy Grant to, to, to help off LeBron James. Hello, that's LeBron James. I'm not helping off of him. Are you crazy? Jokic almost got there. Jokic came off the inbounds and almost got there, but Plumlee never should have been on the court in the first place. That's the worst part. You have enough guys that look like you should be prioritizing speed at that moment. You know, we saw this. We saw this in a similar instance with Damian Lillard all those years ago when he hit that. I think it was 2012. He hit that shot on Houston. And they had Chandler Parsons, Chandler Parsons. chasing Lillard. And Chandler Parsons got caught behind. And Lillard just raised up and knocked that shit down. And Parsons was late. And in these instances, you need to you need to have speed. So whether that's, you know, you have someone like Monty Morris that's going to blitz him as soon as the ball gets to him. Anything is better than dying on a screen and pointing to someone else to have your assignment. This switching thing, there needs to be balance. You can't just switch everything. Fight over your screen and defend your man. Well, when they brought him in, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, so they're sitting Jokic for his defense. They're going to they're gonna put Plumlee in there, have him jump around, wave around at the inbounder, and, and do that. And then all of a sudden, I see Jokic on the ball. What are they doing? What is this? You have, again, you talk about the personnel. You have Jeremy Grant, who is long and athletic. But he has to, he has to be glued to LeBron. I think, but, or Millsap. Just, Millsap but, can be on LeBron. I, well, there needs to be, and I think this needs to go to play design. There's a reason that, they, that Vogel had 
that play for Davis so close to LeBron because LeBron gets his own gravity to begin with. For sure. And, you know, they deserve credit for that. But you need to be better. You need to – it is your job. If you are there to guard a player, it is your job to guard that player. And you raised the point on Millsap. I completely agree. Can can Paul Millsap stay in front of LeBron James, who's being a decoy anyway, for two seconds, 2.1 seconds? I'm sure you can work that out. You can't have plodding Plumlee following AD around. It's not going to work. And there's your proof. And it didn't work. Kobe. The other part about this too, which I found, you know, very, very intriguing was the fact that, you know, that it got to this point, right? It, it, it didn't feel that way watching the game. And, you know, you, you had the, uh, probably not the luxury, but the, uh, the unfortunate of watching, knowing the outcome. It, this didn't feel like Denver's game at all, at all. Like the late, oh, when you get your shot at the king, you best not miss. And if you have an opportunity to steal one, you have to steal it. I mean, this is no different than when the Raptors played the Cavs in 2018 and JV missed all those bunnies at the rim. You remember that? And yeah, yeah. now, was that, would that been a steal? Maybe not in the same regard. But when you get the chance to beat him, you have to take advantage. Now, I'm not going to be the one that sits there and says that the Nuggets are dead because we've seen this movie before, literally in the last month, where they don't die. Well, they were dead yesterday, and then they. But you dead. have to take you have to take those games, and to to lose on some pointing switch nonsense, it's just disheartening. And, and this brings up another point with things I'd like to see in Denver's approach. Um, and then I'll get then I, the stuff I really want to get to is the stuff with Anthony Davis. But let, let's just chat Denver really quick because you brought it brought it to Denver. Is I think they're playing too many guys, and I think. Plumlee and Dozier need to be the ones that are either phased out completely or their minutes are lessened a lot. We understood last year that when Nick Nurse took over, he had seven guys, maybe eight. Golden State has done the same thing in the past. You see that all the time. Miami, when they won all their chips, you have seven to eight guys, and that's who you ride. And they played, I think, nine or ten guys last night. And I'm I'm sorry, that's just not going to get it done against a team like the Lakers, who tighten up their rotation as it is. Well, to to tighten it up two things to that point first off they've been in two straight game sevens so they're probably extending their bench be- to give their guys a bit of a breather don't boot and holes for me that. don't boot and holes for me i'm not saying i agree with it I'm, I'm giving you the logic behind why they're probably going there secondly you bring up dozier the guy was unbelievable last he night was. For those two free throws that he missed and Plumlee has to play this is the lakers they have to spell Jokic with someone and what i'm not what, convinced what, hold, that's on, hold on hold I'm on hold on i'm not convinced that that's hold true on. yes it, hold on they have to spell him with, with a big. They have to because Millsap isn't Millsap of six years ago. He cannot. He's not athletic enough anymore to hang at the five. He can't do it. He can't chase pick and rolls all day. He's a he's a very good on ball defender. He cannot chase pick and rolls all day. Grant, if anything, has the ability to play that really small ball center. But the Lakers are huge, and they do not they do not kowtow to anybody. They do not change their approach. They are going out there with with their big men because they feel that that saves AD for moments like this. Now Plumlee, you know, you mentioned he has those moments. He is he is a very creative passing big man. He's not Jokic. But the reason why they like that of him spelling Jokic is the fact that they feel like the continuity of their offense stays well kept together. Whereas if you have this overly switchy, overly athletic kind of, that's not the Denver Nuggets. That's not how they play. That's not who they are. They don't have the defenders to go out and do that. To your point about Boston, Miami, even Toronto, 
When they go small, they have rangy defenders. You're going small with Denver with guys like Michael Porter Jr., Dozier, uh, Jamal Murray. Like These are below average, if not absolutely terrible defenders that are going to have to be on the court. Now, Torrey Craig, I like defensively, but he's small. It's just I don't think they have the ability. I just think that, I just think that to your point, it's situation-based. If Mason Plumlee is on the floor in that instance, it's not to chase Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis played 39 minutes last night. Yeah. Mason Plumlee played nine. So those are nine minutes when Anthony Davis is not on the floor that Plumlee does not need to play. This isn't matching. You don't need to match. You don't need to match Davis in this instance because the exact amount of time that Davis isn't playing, Plumlee's on the floor. So you can just play small in those minutes anyway. If if JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard are going to kill Paul Millsap yeah. playing the five and kill Jeremy Grant playing the five, then go for it. If you want to win on the back of those guys, go for it. Because I would rather have those two beat me than be beaten by Davis and LeBron. Plumlee should not be in the rotation if you want to win a championship. History proves you win it with seven or eight guys. You have to tighten that up if you want to win. And on that note, we talk about playing most of the game. Jamal Murray played 44 minutes last night, was a yep. plus 16. That is absurd. And they got killed in the four minutes he didn't play. So if this series is not over, okay, but if I'm going grocery shopping and I'm the Denver Nuggets this, this offseason, I the first thing on my list needs to be another guy who can create – and affect the game off the bounce. Maybe they want that to be Michael Porter Jr. I don't believe that he's ready yet. They need to be chasing another guy off the bounce hard, and the guy they should be looking at is Bradley Beal. And they are a, they are this close, and my fingers are very close together right now, to being a year-to-year title contender. What you do to get you over the top is go hunt another star. And they have the juice, and they're going to have – you know, the capital to go get that star. I'd be chasing Bradley Beal hard because imagine someone like Beal and Murray running all over with Jokic. That could be special. Oh, it'd be incredible. It's, it's like almost a dream spot for him. I, I, you know, Murray would have to be the one guarding point guards in that scenario. That doesn't really make me feel all that great. But you have Jamal Murray, Brad Beal, and Nikola Jokic. You figure that shit out. That, that's just, yep. that's the bottom line on that. So, um, you know, I, I did. I, I did want to and, touch and, on and quick, really quick. But you mentioned off season. What about Kyle Lowry in Denver? I mean, I think if you're this close, if you're really close, I think Kyle Lowry's awesome. I think you gotta hunt the big game first because while I think someone like Kyle Lowry would be a great fit next to Murray, I think they're at the point now where they have a blue chipper with Michael Porter Jr. and I'm not sure anyone else who's going to be chasing Brad Beal like the Brooklyn Nets, for example, is going to have a blue chipper at that level to satisfy what Washington will want to do. And if you're Denver, I'm sure they like Michael Porter Jr. What's not to like? He's got some, you know, I don't love his attitude all the time, but he's got got something special. He's got some Durante features to him, and you'd hate to give up a guy like that. But Brad Beal is young enough and damn good enough that it's worth it. Trust me. So I think that's something that they should be. And again, this series is not over, but I'm watching the game today. And all I can say to myself is, God, they really need one more guy to hurt them off the bounce because Michael Porter Jr. As good as he is, he's not ready yet. 
No. And a lot of the other guards they have are strictly role-playing guards. They do one or two things well. They're not killing you from all areas like Murray is. Absolutely. And especially in, in a playoff series, you know, we talked about switching and, you know, it's people want you to switch because you can target their defender. I know that's a big point of yours and big emphasis for a lot of NBA teams. They're going to, they're targeting Porter. Absolutely. They are. So we only have a couple more minutes before we have to sign off, but I know that you have another point that you want to make on the Lakers. So I want to let you take the floor here before we, uh, we shout out uh, someone special. So take the floor on the Lakers before we sign off, Ian. So there are a couple of things I wanted to ask in regards to Anthony Davis, who obviously was spectacular again last night. Um, have we hit the point? Well, first of all, let's start here. Is Anthony Davis guardable? Yes, but by very few pl- – no, the answer is no. He's, he's unguardable. He's just – you have to try and maintain that is my answer. Remember when, remember when the Raptors were trying to take down LeBron and they went and got P.J. Tucker, who I absolutely adore, by the way. And they're like, okay, we have our LeBron stopper. You don't have stoppers. And then, and then LeBron you know, torched him predictably, right? So LeBron got to a point where it's like there is no such thing as a LeBron stopper, yes. right? And I think when you're talking, talking about the upper echelon offensive players in the league, there's no such thing as a stopper for those players. So far, we've seen that there is a Giannis stopper, and it's Mike Budenholzer. And we've seen a, you know, we've seen for other stars, you know, we've seen that there is an ability to stop him. And I think we've hit the point with Davis where the stopper thing just does not exist. And that leads me into my next. I think his stopper is AD. I really do. Like when he's, he needs to be fully engaged at all. All times. the time. Yeah. Agreed. Completely agree. And that leads me to my next point where you hear it on broadcast, you hear it on post game, you see it on Twitter, you know, the Lakers, you know, the Lakers have two top five guys, but at what point are we just being disrespectful with that? Because how is Anthony Davis anything, anything less than the third best player in the league? And maybe the second, because what we've seen is that he's one of the two or three best big men defenders in the entire sport. And he's one of the best offensive players and he's completely unguardable as we just talked about. So how can that player sneak be, be a top five? I mean, at what point are we just being disrespectful? This man is top three. The Lakers have two of the top three. We haven't seen that since the 2011 heat. I, it's one of those things where, you know, you get lost in some of the moments with like James Harden and, and uh, I'm trying to think even Kawhi, Kawhi. you get lost in a lot of the longevity part, which, which is, which is a big thing. And Kawhi was at a point, at you know in at the end of the playoff run last year when he won the title with the Raptors where he was the guy who you're drafting number one to win a playoff game even over LeBron he had kind well, of dethroned him in that sense to me he's not still in the, the overall legacy yeah he's still in the top three okay so then you have in your top three is LeBron Kawhi and AD and you're leaving Giannis out of your top three yeah he's, he's number four I've shown you've shown evidence shown me that you can stop him not just with Budenholzer but if I have Kawhi or if I have a Big, big wing, I can stop him or I can at least make it tricky. So until we've seen that sort of push, what we've seen with Davis now where he just can't be stopped right now, until we see that from Giannis, the other three guys can't be stopped. They have to be the three. All right, buddy, really quick. Who is your game three winner between the Lakers and the Nuggets? Well, one thing I want to say is that we've seen this before to count Denver out of a situation like this where they're down two games would just be irresponsible. And I think that they're going to counterpunch because that's what they do. But I think what we need to see is Jamal Murray was excellent last night, like excellent. But what I want him to do is I want him to punish those shitty guards that the Lakers throw out there. I'm sorry. It's just true. I mean, 
how many, when's the last time we'd see a title team trotting out a Rondo Caruso, KCP, Danny Green type backcourt? I mean, you just don't see it. I want Jamal to punish those guys. And I want him to be a real, real focal point more so moving forward. Um, I, I love Jamal. I think Denver's going to have counterpunch. I don't know. I pick them to win, but they're going to counterpunch. They're not going away. Last time was probably the 2011 Mavericks where you got the JJ Barea, Jason Terry types, uh, a little bit of a, I think older Jason Kidd was on that team. Like definitely not where you want to go into a battle with, but obviously peak dirt. Fair. So, uh, so I, I also like Denver to make it hard. I'm not going to predict uh, this is a stay away game when you're talking about gambling. To me, I think that the Lakers just won the series, but Denver are a bunch of fighters. So you well, know, I'm excited to see LeBron, LeBron is, it's, feels like he sweeps everyone. And, you know, he's at the point now where he's so seasoned that he may be able to just sense it. But look, if you force me to pick, I have Denver in game three. I, well, I, I, there's not, they are not getting swept. Based, uh, on, Le, based on LeBron's photo right now, uh, if him in the pool, he's feeling it. So really appreciate everyone listening to this, this podcast. Uh, this has been another edition for us. Thank you to J.D. Bunkus. Thank you to the newest sponsor, Stephen Liambus Real Estate. Again, top producing realtor in the greater Toronto area, known for his extensive market knowledge and unmatched devotion to his clients. I am one of his clients. He sold me my house that I have now and helped me get out of the one that I was in previously. The dope house. Great house. Anything you want to say about our newest sponsor? I love you, buddy. Uh, We appreciate your support and uh, we're looking forward to taking this journey with you together. Big things coming down. Make sure you check out Steve on, uh, on Instagram, check him out and make sure, uh, make sure you reach out if you've got any real estate related questions. At Homes by Steven, guys, make sure you give him a follow. Really appreciate everyone listening. Stay tuned.